Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of October 9th, 2022. So again, starting with something I've kind of enjoyed or that's that's useful to me. One thing that I've had, you know, an absolute ton of use is a Bluetooth speaker on my wrist. I listen to podcasts, you know, obviously at a reasonable volume, although I am in a very <laughs> suburban area, so there's not really anybody out there. But I listen to that while I'm walking my dog, but also while I do basically anything around the house. I can cram in a lot more funny podcasts or more learning while I do menial tasks. I was told, for example, this is the perfect podcast to do Dishes to by Andrew Padilla or Mow the Lawn to by uh, Jean-Georges Perrin or JGP. So um, I think it's something that, yes, we want some quiet time to ourselves as well to reflect reflect and, and things like that. But it's also kind of nice to just have something that where you can uh, get through more podcasts and things like that while you're kind of doing everything else. So kind of general backdrop, I'm still working on the getting started survey. I'm probably going to be teaming up with a few people to really get that going more. So if you're interested in doing that, please get in touch, especially as well if you are early in your data mesh journey yourself. We need feedback on like what answers or what questions would be actually helpful. Otherwise, it's just a guess. We can get a lot of people to respond, but it's only useful really with more feedback. So what's on tap for this week? On Monday, it's episode 139, reflecting on learnings from Glovo's early data mesh journey, an interview with Javier Granda and Pablo Hinerabad. Um, and the, they're obviously from Glovo. So <laughs> we had uh, Sean and Gustavo from ThoughtWorks talking about Glovo's journey from the ThoughtWorks point of view in episode 113. So I think this is really awesome to provide uh, another perspective on this. Uh, Pablo and, and Havo share their learnings from almost two years of doing data mesh and give some great getting started advice while reflecting. Some is some great inspiration for getting going and, you know, you don't have to have it all perfect, just kind of get moving, but also some things that they ran into that they recommend that you avoid. So I think it's really good to have uh, both of those kind of perspectives within the same uh, episode. On Wednesday, it's episode 140, Jamax Corner number six, bypassing the binary bias and crucial learnings from the operational world. So it's going to start off with an anecdote about aliens. I, I think it's a, a great thing uh, from Jamak that she was giving that kind of uh, funny little uh, thing to, to lead into it. So Jamak shares her thoughts on how we have to move past our bias towards binary thinking. Rarely is the world black and white. So trying to have that way too much in your data and, and in the information that we share with each other without kind of the general perspective and, and the context, it's just, it's not gonna lead us in a good direction. 
We also talked about what we can learn from the operational software world and even from beyond that to apply to like what we're trying to do with data and data mesh, right? We can move towards creating value from data with the data mesh principles now, but we also need badly the tooling to catch up to really drive the most value from our data. It's another eye-opener. I think you'll learn a lot from it. On Friday, it's episode 141, Effective Data Storytelling to Secure Funding, Pop Your Data Bubble, and Stop the Data Babble, which is an interview with Scott Taylor. If you're not familiar with Scott Taylor, he's also called the Data Whisperer. So he shared his learnings from years of obtaining funding for data management initiatives. And he calls those a little bit different than the analytics initiatives. This is more the governance and and the infrastructure and things like that. He's also rather funny throughout while teaching us, at least kind of starting to teach us. We obviously couldn't learn how to do everything in an hour, but how do we tell stories about data that will captivate your audience and bring them to your side so you can get funding for these initiatives? I loved his bit about when you get to a yes, stop talking. That's what I'm going to do now. So on to the extended summaries for this week. Extended summary for episode 139, reflecting on learnings from Glovo's early data mesh journey, an interview with Pablo Hinerabad and Javier Javo Granda. In this episode, I interviewed Pablo, Global Director of Data, and Javo, Senior Data Manager at Glovo. From here forward in this episode summary, I will refer to Pablo and Javo as a singular entity rather than trying to specifically call out who said which part. So Havo and Pablo started out the conversation sharing about Glovo's history with data. They have always had a lot of data and been data heavy, but how they handled data was not very structured. They didn't focus much on the data architecture. They treated the data warehouse like a data lake, dumping things in with little to no data modeling. People didn't trust the data, so they spent huge amounts of time checking data quality. And the company made some crucial decisions on data that wasn't all that great. You know, the data quality wasn't that high. Their data architectural choices were creating more and more bottlenecks as well, according to Pablo and Havo, because everything was reliant on the central team to build and fix. They clearly couldn't scale to meet the company's needs. You know, they had built out the tech to try to support the needs and remove the bottlenecks based on, you know, what were the bottlenecks that were just from a throughput and scale standpoint, but the central team itself was never going to scale to meet their overall needs. Per Havo and Pablo, in a way, their problematic setup was helpful for data mesh buy-in because they had so much tech debt, it was actually easier to convince everyone they needed to move to something different rather than try to incrementally improve. Escalation by who screamed loudest just wasn't working, and the central data team was falling more and more behind. There was a strong demand for understandable reliability. What was the actual quality level and clear ownership of data? 
Rather than trying for a short-term fix, they look to build their long-term data strategy, according to Pablo and Havo. Where did they want to go with data? Data Mesh came at the right time and gave them the structure they needed to start really identifying their issues and setting their forward vision. This comes up actually quite a bit about Data Mesh putting people's challenges into a new light and really shining a light on things from a different perspective. They knew they needed the agnostic platform to serve the broader company instead of what they were building, which was point solutions. They wanted to really apply product thinking to data. Federated governance and domain ownership of data were more new to them, so it was harder to really figure those out, and and that's led to some challenges as well. Havo and Pablo shared their initial plans, which fits a, a common theme in Data Mesh Radio episodes. Make a thin slice of every aspect they'd need, but make some hard compromises. They knew they needed a platform that could at least read and process data. Their first few data products were more shared ownership between the domains and the central data teams, etc. It's okay to not fit the complete picture of data mesh when you get going. It's a journey, right? I know people see this this end picture that uh, Jermac has painted, and it's great, but you're not going to be able to just kind of quickly shift to that. Be prepared to make some hard compromises. The business leaders didn't really care how all of this stuff around data got done, only that it got done, according to Pablo and Havo. So they chose security and quality as their main focuses early in their journey. Quality was very crucial to regain data consumer trust. So they created tests to show what were the expectations and that the data products were actually meeting those expectations. Security was basically to protect PII, you know, personally identifiable information. They didn't need anything too complicated, so they only built what they needed. This is another thing that comes up a lot. For your platform, build what you need, but like actually really consider what do you actually need? What can be uh, a manual process for now, right? Like automated access control isn't something everybody needs to be building right at the start. On picking their first use case, Havo and Pablo and team looked for a use case that had high value and low dependencies. The more dependencies, the more possible complications and ways to fail. So they chose customer interactions in the app. What were people actually doing in their app, right? Previously, to get at that data, it was very difficult because of many complicated combinations of data. The producers for the, that first use case really didn't have to do too much. The data was already being created in a format that was close to usable. And the producers were also the consumers, which obviously made it much easier to drive buy-in. At Glovo, every data set, every data quantum must have a clear owner, but they did save a lot of that change management pain until later. They didn't force the data producers to really own their data products and had the central data team really as the owner or the, or the co-owner. They're now pushing that ownership onto the producers, and there is a fair amount of friction. So I don't think this is a magical thing where if you have the central team, uh, as you are working to decentralize them, own these data products, there's still going to be a lot of friction on putting those onto the team. So you kind of have to work with them and figure out what's the short term and the long run about who owns what and why. 
Pablo and Havo brought up the quote from Reed Hoffman, who was the person who founded LinkedIn. If you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you shipped too late. So what is a minimum viable data product, right, at Glovo? It is a data set, you know, a group of tables that has some amount of enrichment and structured to be used by the target data consumers. But they found that business leaders didn't really care about data products, you know, the data quantum as units of business value until they connected the visualization tooling. So it's not really usable. If it's not really usable by that target customer, is it really product ready, right? How far into the data consumers use the data products, you know, of the data products does ownership extend? Um, It's a question that I don't think I have an answer to and that a lot of people are kind of trying to figure out. I think it's okay to have it extend further. Uh, Xavier Gumaro Regol's episode talked about that a lot, and you could uh, pick up some interesting things from that. As other guests have mentioned, Havo and Pablo agree you should only produce a data product if there is a known need. But prior to Data Mesh, teams were only serving the needs of the teams closest to them in the organization. Now data producers are thinking about who all could use the data and finding interesting new consumers, uncovering new potential use cases. When asked what they wish they had been told when they started their data mesh journey, Pablo and Havo shared a lot. One is to focus on the problems you have now and set yourself up to focus on the problems six months down the road when you are six months down the road. This was especially an issue for the platform team, not serving what was needed now to try to build out the capabilities to support future use cases instead of the current use cases. Another is to focus a lot on capabilities. Glovo was focused on delivering data products, but they wish they had focused on reducing cycle times to creating new data products, right? So you might have shipped more data products earlier but that is now starting to, to catch up to them because it's it's still not as easy as they'd like to create a new data product. Another few where building cross-functional teams is crucial, but always challenging. You need to be prepared to communicate more fe- frequently than you probably expect and repeat yourself often and repeat yourself often. I say this a lot, but repeat yourself often. And lastly, domain ownership will likely be a challenge in many cases. Havo and Pablo discussed how the data team, in you know, quote unquote, inherited the existing domain map, and they are still struggling somewhat with mapping out their data domains and how they differ to the operational domains, right? They just took the operational domains and said, okay, this is kind of the domain map we have to use for data. Just following the operational domains caused a number of challenges as it often didn't align with how data was flowing through their systems for analytical use. Mapping out your data flows is crucial to establish the right data domain ownership, but then shifting data ownership to other domains is also a challenge. Not an easy thing to solve, unfortunately, but it's important to to kind of note and know about. Domain ownership is causing a lot of issues currently. Data ownership is typically not an expected responsibility for domains per Pablo and Havo. Changing ownership from outside the operational domain to that team because it is their data domain is also very challenging. They're struggling to really define 
each data domain and why these data domains are needed instead of just using the operational domain. So Havo and Pablo are asking for more people to create content around domain ownership as well. Extended summary for episode 141, Effective Data Storytelling to Secure Funding, Pop Your Data Bubble, and Stop the Data Babble, interview with Scott Taylor. So in this episode, I I interviewed Scott Taylor, aka The Data Whisperer. If you haven't seen some of his posts or some of his videos on LinkedIn, they're, they're pretty humorous. So from here forwards, when I say Scott, that will be used to represent Scott Taylor to differentiate from me unless otherwise noted. It won't be some weird third person kind of thing. (laughs) It's also important to note that Scott differentiates data management from analytics. So things like data governance and infrastructure fall under data management and analytics is more about doing the actual analysis. So Scott shared a bit about his history and seeing the same patterns repeatedly, especially the need to effectively communicate to get funding for data initiatives. To actually obtain funding for those data management initiatives, you need to articulate the value to the business of the work. And many data people do that pretty darn poorly, if at all. Where do things typically go wrong in getting funding for data management? Per Scott, it's when the person asking for funding focuses the conversation on the how. E.g., how exactly are we going to implement data governance? Generally, the audience cares only about the why. Why is this important? They want to trust you to execute on the how. The how is crucial, but that's why they hired you, to take care of the how, right? Way too many people in data think everybody wants to know all about how the data initiatives work. They don't. So Scott recommends, again, starting from the why. Show them how this data management initiative will enable the business strategy. Because why have a data strategy if it doesn't drive the business strategy? This has been a a repeated theme through a lot of episodes. A lot of people miss that plot point. Scott has seen a number of times where data folks don't focus on, on how the data strategy ties to the business strategy and the perception and often the reality is that the the data folks don't really understand what the business does and or what drives the business results. That's obviously going to hurt chances of getting funding for data initiatives. So what actually is data storytelling and how does it work? According to Scott, there is the storytelling with data, which is not his focus, and storytelling about data, that data management side, breaking it down into into the three component parts. Data, you were talking about data initiatives. (laughs) Kind of simple there. Story, constructing a narrative, telling, how you actually communicate what you are doing and why. It's an art, not a science, unfortunately, but you'll get much better at it with practice. You need to get your audience emotionally attached to the outcome to get them bought in to get funding for it. So this isn't a a movie or a novel. You don't get a chance at exposition. It's a pitch. Get their attention and be prepared for and welcome 
their interruptions. It means they are at least engaged, if not bought in just yet. Your, your actual objective, per Scott, is to not get through all your slides because they were too interested in asking questions before you could get through all your slides. To prepare your pitch about your for your data initiatives, Scott recommends you really focus on what the decision makers are talking about, both their aspirations and their pain points. Then look to tie your data initiatives to those. What are they trying to do and where are they trying to take the business? How can your initiative get them there faster, better, cheaper, et cetera? What are the problems they are having? Talk to those exact pain points and how your data initiatives addresses those pain points. What are the strategic intentions of the organization? This will take a fair bit of empathy and learning how to really listen. And then again, to tie your pitch back to their aspirations and pain points. Scott's got some good tips in the episode on how to do that. Scott shared his three V's of storytelling, playing off the three V's of big data, vocabulary, voice, and vision. You need to combine all three to effectively tell your story. Don't talk in data language. Use the language of the business. Make it an interactive conversation, not you talking at them. Show them why this matters and why doing your initiative will drive business results. Again, your data strategy must be about the business strategy. So Scott finished the episode on his mantra of truth before meaning. So a few other quick tidbits from Scott. Be prepared for cynicism from the business side. Many have heard about this or that data or technology initiative that will be the silver bullet for far too long and they haven't delivered in the past. So don't try to pretend like, I mean, we say this a lot, but don't think that data mesh is a silver bullet and don't pitch it as one. Digital transformation is an enormous opportunity to change how your organization deals with data. It's a major potential accelerant for the business. Use that as a good point of leverage to pitch your data initiatives. There are four ways data can add value, according to Scott. One, grow the business. Two, improve the business. Three, protect the business. And four, sustain the business. Be clear on which ones your initiative focuses on. There are a number of sales and marketing techniques people can learn to become effective at data storytelling. You want to take your audience from what are you talking about to we can't live without this, but it takes practice. Find people to practice with too. Don't get into any conversation where it's super, super high stakes that you get this perfect the first time through. Data management is the less attractive side of data and analytics, but it's the foundation. You can't build a stable building, a stable home, without a good foundation. And lastly, this is something that that I think everybody should really take to heart, and I need to take to heart more often. When you get to a yes, stop talking. Is your point to get to the yes, or is it to tell them all you wanted or, or plan to tell them? It's probably to get to that yes. So once you've gotten there, stop talking. And that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. 